Greetings this evening in the name of Jesus. Thank you so much, Vanson, for leading us in that time of thinking about the work of Jesus to restore, bring us back into fellowship with God, and yet actually take us beyond what was there even in the beginning, uh, that redemption that is in Christ. Uh, this evening, uh, we're going to be continuing to think about relationships. Last evening, we looked at the greatest commandment, especially recognizing that God wants us to love him. And it is our relationship with God that provides a basis for us being able to um, be at peace with others, uh, to be at peace with ourselves. And <clears throat> in this uh, series, uh, just uh, say, I'm not intending to focus as much on the how-tos of relationship. Um, we live in a world where there are, there's a lot of self-help books and a lot of books about how you do this and how you do that. And uh, there, there's value in uh, those, those books. But if we, if we talk simply about how to do relationships, we can get this idea that it's up to us. Um, and I'd like to focus maybe more on the kind of people we need to be in order to have good relationships. Uh, not so much on the mechanics of relationships, um, but the first uh, commandment, I'm going to go back there again. This is in Matthew 22 and just point out um, what Jesus said here when he was asked, what is the greatest commandment? <clears throat> Uh, we know this uh, command very well. Thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thy heart, with all thy soul, with all thy strength. And Jesus said, this is the first and great commandment. It's the number one thing that God wants from us more than anything else. It's, 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 so, it's so important that we could do all of the others. And if we miss this one, it doesn't count for anything. So this is the first commandment. It's the greatest commandment. It's what makes all the others significant. But Jesus didn't stop there. He gave the lawyer more than the man asked for. He went on to say in Matthew 22, verse 38, uh, 39, sorry, he says, and the second is like, like unto it, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. So here we have um, significant principle for relationships. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. And then Jesus says this astounding thing on these two command, commands hangs all the law and the prophets. If I understand him rightly, Jesus is saying everything that God teaches us about how we are to live is either relating to him, loving him, telling us how to love him, or telling us how to love others. Now, Paul picks that up in uh, Romans 13, and he says, uh, the commandments, thou shalt not kill, shalt not steal, shalt not commit adultery. And then he says, if there is any other command, it is basically comprehended in this, thou shalt love thy neighbor as thyself. So again, you get this sense that everything that we are taught about how to live is either about how to love God or how to love others, which makes love a pretty significant issue in our lives. I uh, have recently, or a number of years ago, read a, an author that 
uh, helped me to understand something just about human beings. He said, he, he said, you know, back in the Enlightenment, Descartes uh, ended up saying that we are thinkers. I think, therefore I am. That's kind of uh, the famous thing that he, he had to say there. So we know that we're human because we think. Um, he challenged, this author challenged that, and he said, certainly thinking is a part of being human, but it's not the core of human, humanity. And he says, at the core, we are lovers. That's, that's the core of what it means to be human. God designed us to live in love. He designed us to be loving. And the two greatest commandments would reflect that. We're either to love God or to love others. That's, that's how we're wired. That's how God intended for us to live. So we have this as, as kind of a background, just recognizing. So I'd like to think with you about about uh, love in relationships. And uh, we'll go here to uh, words of Jesus then in John 13. Uh, I have them uh, projected for you here. John 13. Uh, this is uh, at the close of Jesus' earthly ministry. Uh, just ahead of this, we have the account of Jesus washing his disciples' feet, having the Last Supper with them, and instituting communion. And then John records, I am so grateful for John's gospel. The other three are, are, are good too, I mean, but they're the synoptic. We call them, they're very similar. And John, <clears throat> it seems that John wrote his gospel to kind of fill in some of the things that the others didn't include. So we have things in John that, that we don't have in the others, including this last evening significant teaching that Jesus gives. And we have several chapters in John uh, where this teaching uh, goes forward. And um, besides the, the teaching that he gave there about uh, feet washing, washing feet, uh, serving each other in love, uh, verse, um, I, I could uh, read here just a bit ahead. Well, let's just go to verses 34 and 35 here. Uh, Jesus says, a new commandment I give to you, that you love one another as I have loved you, that you love also one another. By this, all will know that you are my disciples, if you have love one for another. I'd just like to note here that Jesus said that the second command, and he's talking about the commands in the law, the second command is thou shalt love thy neighbor as thyself. So the command to love is not a new command. It was around. They knew this command. And yet Jesus says, a new commandment I give you. I don't know for sure if I fully understand what Jesus is saying, but I, to me it seems like the significance here is the little clause that, that you have in the middle of verse 34. As I have loved you, that you love one another. And it seems to me that that's what enables us to understand this as actually having new dimensions. We are to love others as Jesus has loved us. So if we think about love, uh, by the way, I want to uh, come back and, and note the, the next verse. And I'll come back to that a little bit later. But he says, this is the way that people will know that you're my disciples if you have love. This kind of love, I should say, this kind of love for each other. 
that this is this is this a, a distinguishing mark and it is what happens to us when we live in this relationship with God especially the redeemed relationship what Jesus actually does for us will be so transforming that we will begin to act like Jesus we will begin to love the way Jesus has loved <clears throat> So uh, with that, just a number of things I'd like to uh, have us think about when we think about how we love. <clears throat> we're just coming back to saying we're defining this. We're defining this by God's love for us that was given to us through Jesus. Okay. As I have loved you. So the father's love coming down to us through the son to us is to define our love for others. Now, last evening we talked about our love for God. So just visually, I want you to uh, watch here a little bit. Uh, I, I don't, I can't jump high enough here. Okay. But God's great love coming down. Okay. Think about that. God's great love coming down is to call from us an answering love back to God. And that love relationship begins to transform us and cause us to be able to love others. It comes down, it goes up, and it goes out. So all of this that we're talking about, when we talk about love, we are talking about a, we could call it the love family, okay? The, the love that came down turns into our love back and then our love out to others. The, the kind of love that Jesus calls for, is impossible outside of that relationship with God. Okay, so we're talking about a particular kind of love. And so I'd like to spend a little time here just thinking with you about what kind of love does God have? What kind of love did Jesus show to us? How, which will help us to know what kind of love should be going out. So is that making sense? So we're saying that when people see this love that goes out from us, it'll remind them of the kind of love that has come down to us. And they will say, these people know God. They are close to God because they are acting like Jesus. They are in this, in this family, this love family. So, what is God's love like? I'd like to name five things. I'm not going to try to be comprehensive here. Um, I, I thought about just asking you, but I don't know if we're comfortable enough yet if you'd be saying things or not, but how would you finish that? God's love is what? Well, we, there are just lots of ways that we could answer that. I'm just going to name a number of things that I think are crucial. Maybe a couple of things that we don't always think about. Uh, the first one might surprise you a bit, but God's love is righteous. And uh, actually, uh, Vincent uh, kind of brought us close to that understanding here. Um, but I find this especially reflected in Paul's uh, letter to the Romans. Uh, chapter 3. So I just want you to note the wording in Romans 3 here when... When uh, Paul talks about the same thing that Vance was talking about, this reconciliation, this actually coming back into relationship with God, the first, uh, he, he spends some time saying that we've all sinned, okay? Everyone has sinned. There is none righteous, uh, verse 10, none righteous. No, not one. He's quoting from Psalm uh, there and goes on to describe the, the fallenness. And then notice verse 21. 
by the way, this, this, this section, this passage, ends up saying, there, so there's, there's nobody who's outside of this sin problem. We've all sinned. We fall short of God's glory. Okay. Then he says, verse 21, but now the righteousness of God apart from the law is revealed being witnessed by the law and the prophets, even the righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ to all and on all who believe for there is no difference for all of sin falls short of the glory of God. Being justified freely by his grace through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus, whom God set forth as a propitiation by his blood through faith. Now, now notice the wording, to demonstrate his righteousness. So God sent his son, the the word that is used there, propitiation, has the idea of what was necessary to bring people at odds, not people, characters, God and man at odds to bring us back together. The propitiation, what was necessary for that to happen, God did this through his son, but it says to demonstrate his righteousness. Have you ever wondered, I have certainly, couldn't God have forgiven us another way? Did Jesus need to die? This is a horrible, this is, I mean, we think about this at communion time. We think about it sometimes other, other times what Jesus did for us. I don't think, folks, I have ever been able to fully grasp what it would have been like to be there that day and watch what they did to Jesus. I don't think I've been able to, to actually pull that in and understand what actually happened. I have been with a number of people who have died when they died. And always, always, I, it has been in a setting where people were doing everything they could to make them comfortable. That wasn't the way Jesus died. And Paul says... God did this to demonstrate his righteousness. And I'll keep reading, verse 25. Because in his forbearance, God passed over the sins that were previously committed to demonstrate at the present time his righteousness. You, you have it twice. He repeats it, to demonstrate his righteousness. What, what I get from this, I should finish the verse there, uh, to, to demonstrate at the present time his righteousness, that he might be just. And, and in here we need to realize in the Greek language, in the Greek language the word can be translated both either just or righteous. Okay, we could read that he might be righteous and the righteous of fire. Okay, we don't have a verb form, but that he can be just or righteous and the one who makes righteous. The one who has faith in Jesus. What Jesus did, and, and I want to say here, there, there's, there are arguments about the atonement. What actually happened? What, what was involved there? And I want to say here, it's beyond full human understanding. I'm not saying it doesn't matter how we understand. I am saying, however, it's far more important that we experience it. Okay? So, whatever Jesus did made it possible for God to righteously forgive sins. Folks, God does not just call black white. 
When God says to us, I mean, folks, I'm, I want to be kind here, but you're all sinners, okay? We all fall short, okay? Even after we're Christians, we don't always do it right. We sometimes, we fall short. We need the Savior all the time. And God doesn't just call black, white, but because of what Jesus did, God can call us righteous. That's, and he can do it righteously. Now, what does this say about love? I, I don't know that I have the full way of applying this. But what we're saying, what Jesus said, is that we are to love as we have been loved. It tells me that we are not just to love people any old way. Does that make sense? We're not supposed to just call black white. We're not supposed to just act as though um, everything they do, we're, we're, all we are is cheerleaders in people's lives. We are to love righteously. We are not to violate righteousness in the process of loving. Which means that sometimes, even as Jesus loved those who followed him, he said things that were difficult for them. But always, he said those things for their good. Now, I'll come to this in a, in, a, in a moment here, but love then is actually a commitment to whatever is best for the other. That's what love is. And God is committed to what is best for us, and he will do what is righteous in, in the process of his commitment to us. God's love is righteous. Now, here's one that is familiar to us. God's love is also undeserved. So I'm not going to spend a lot of time on that. I'm just saying we know that. We do not deserve the love of God. And all, all I'm, I'm saying here then that this is also informing how we are to love others. We are not supposed to think in terms of does this person deserve love? Okay. We're supposed to act according to what is best for people whether they deserve it or not. We're committed to each other's good. If we're going to do this, folks, we're going to have to rise above the normal understanding of love. Jesus said, if you love others who love you, you're no different than unbelievers. They can do that. We are called to act in the best interest of those around us, and particularly our brothers and sisters in Jesus. We're to act according to what is best. That's our commitment. And it doesn't matter if they are... I'm sorry, it matters, but it's not to be dependent upon whether they deserve it or not. In fact, if we look at Jesus' life, sometimes his most beautiful demonstrations of commitment to the good of others was for people who didn't deserve it and at all. The people around even didn't think they deserved it. And yet Jesus acted according to what was best for them. The next one, I have trouble finding just one word to capture this, but I'm going to use the word essential. God's love is essential. What I mean by this is that it's in the essence of God. John says it maybe just very clearly and maybe easier than using this word in his letter. John says, God is love. He doesn't say, well, he does in other places, God loves us. That's, that would be true. But he said, God is love. So, how do we think about this? If, uh, let's, let's use another illustration. So, what makes 
See, we're in wintertime here. We don't have seasonal apples, but let's think about an apple. Uh, we had some fruit somewhere, to, uh, a couple places today. A strawberry. I, I had uh, strawberries, I think, today, okay? What makes a strawberry taste like a strawberry? If we'd be children, we would just say because it is a strawberry, right? That's what makes a strawberry taste like a strawberry. It's the essence of the strawberry to taste like that. We don't bite into a strawberry and say, whoa, that tastes like pizza. Okay. It doesn't. It tastes like a strawberry because it is a strawberry. The essence of the strawberry itself is what brings the taste of the strawberry. Okay, And anybody can do it. If, if fruit would have choice, it might say no to some of us. I mean, there's some ugly faces that go after strawberries, right? <laughs> Maybe even some runny noses, and I, I won't try to go further than that, but I'm just saying if strawberries had choice. But strawberries give you the flavor no matter what, no matter who bites into it. It can be a sinner, it can be a saint, it can be an old person, it can be a young person, and they bite into it, and it gives its flavor because it... The, the flavor of it depends upon the essence of the strawberry. How can a holy God love sinners? That's the answer, folks. Because his love is dependent on who he is. It comes out of him because he is love. Let's come back again. We're saying that these things inform us. Our love for others must not depend upon them as much as it depends upon the essence of who we are. And I'll come back to that in a moment here. Let's look at another one, though, because the, the illustration that I just gave you of the strawberry breaks down. Strawberry has no choice, right? Which makes God's love for us even more astounding. Amazing grace. We sang it tonight. It's amazing. God is not helpless in his love. He's chosen to love us. He voluntarily demonstrated his love for us. Jesus came to do the will of the Father. He chose to love us, even though it was incredibly costly, which is the next point that I'm looking at here. God's love is sacrificial. But God acts in our best interest according to what is best for us because he is love. He does this out of who he is and he does this voluntarily at the cost even of the life of his son. We have five sons. One of our sons just came through a cancer journey. Some of you have asked about that. I can't imagine giving any one of our sons and letting people, actually knowing that they're going to treat him the way the people treated Jesus. I can't imagine doing that. God's love is sacrificial. Beyond my understanding about how he, he knew what it would cost. But he loves anyway. So we're coming back again to saying that our love is this commitment to what is best for others. And we too, are, it's going to cost us. If we're going to love the way Jesus loves, 
Sometimes it's going to hurt. Sometimes we will need to go against what we want to do. Sometimes we will do things that we don't want to do. Look at Jesus in the garden. You, you hear him wrestling and struggling there. He, he was struggling with that, but he went ahead with it. Love is costly. When we come into the body of Christ, we are coming into this family of love where God calls us to love others as he has loved us. I don't know how you feel when you hear uh, someone going through this way of describing God's love, there are times maybe even if, if, if we knew what it would cost us in following Jesus, we might struggle. Am I really willing to do that? But we do it because we have so been loved by the Father. And we are in a love relationship with him that transforms us and makes us, causes us to become godly, causes us to take up the family characteristic of love. And we begin to love others as God has loved us. So we'll look at, come back here to this earlier text that I had looked at, John 13, where Jesus says, this is the way people will know that you're my followers. When you show my kind of love to others. And so I am telling you, and I know that there are visitors here tonight, but you here at Sandy Ridge, this congregation, it should be your desire that anybody who comes into this group is, is experiencing, they experience the kind of love that has come to you from the Father. That it's, they say these people love each other. Now love is costly and there are times when people come in and they're attracted to the community of believers and then counting the cost they realize we don't know if we can do this and they turn away. But it should not be turning away because of a lack of love in the brotherhood. Okay, it should uh, there are times Jesus talks about counting the cost, recognizing that we have to take up our cross to follow him. But this is, this is love. <clears throat> Loving as Jesus loved. And so it becomes the mark. And, and so that people who actually live with us and learn to know us say these people live like Jesus. It's the, it's the, it's the branches growing out of that vine and they taste the fruit on those branches and say, ah, this is Jesus. <laughs> Jesus is coming out. It's the fruit that comes out of the vine. Jesus calls them later in this same evening that he was teaching here. He says, I'm the vine, you are the branches. And, and so bear much fruit. It happens in relationship with Jesus. I'd like to think about yet about um, love and uh, as a um, as a transforming thing. Uh, I, I came across an article some time ago uh, in Christianity Today. It actually is back in uh, 2007. Um, the editor uh, wrote an article, and I can't remember the title of the. Oh, oh yes, I love. Title of the article was "I Love, Therefore You Are," and. Reading the article struck me with new dimensions of what 
love actually is. But I have a couple of quotes from the article I'm going to uh, read for you here. Just demonstrating the power of love. Love is what actually enables us to become what God intends us to be. He says this, our primary duty in life is not to find ourselves, to develop our gifts, or to make sense of life. Instead, we are called to love others so that they can come into existence while they do the same for us. This all starts from the fact that we are first loved by God into existence. And an existence framed by the Trinity in love. The image into which he, we have been created. Thus we share in the mission of this Trinity which is to create and sustain other beings in love. If I can just break that down for us. What he's saying is, if I can just uh, borrow John here this evening, uh, so John Miller, if, if, I, if, if I love John properly, if I love John with the love of God in my heart, John actually is by that love being enabled to become God's son in ways that, that reflect the likeness of our, of our father. As we have a love relationship, we both are actually enabling each other to exist, to become. We're entering into the creative work of God. Again, uh, Vincent read this in uh, 2 Corinthians, but we become new creations, new creations. God is a creator, and he, he loves each one of us into existence and by his love, we come into his family. And in that love relationship with God, we are transformed. We are no longer, I mean, the transformation is so radical. It is so amazing that actually, actually, Paul says we don't know each other after the flesh anymore. So it's, it's a little bit like this. Uh, if I can say who John is. John is not a farmer. You weren't even a farmer, okay? John is my brother in Jesus. That's who John really is. He is a son of God. He has been created into being this new person. That is true for every person who is in Christ Jesus. That is our real identity. We don't know each other after the flesh. If we, get to, if we get to focusing on who we are after the flesh, we'll start focusing on things sometimes that don't matter so much. Like how much money is he making? Or um, uh, what, is he a better farmer than the other farmers around him? Do, do you hear what I'm saying? We'll start focusing on things that don't matter instead of how is he growing as God's son? Okay, our identity, who we are, is actually a recreation. We're being made into the new creation which God is going to perfect. He's going to perfect it all when we're glorified. Okay, we're not perfect yet, but he's in the process. And our love for each other is entering into that creative work of God. We are enabling each other to become like Jesus if we're interacting in the love of God. That's the power of this love and why we are called to love each other with this commitment 
that just will not quit. We are so committed to each other. Like Jesus, we love each We continue to love each other. We will act according to what is best for each other rather than, well, what you said to me the other night. I didn't really like that. I just want to insert a caution here, folks. We are living in an offend, offended happy age. Uh, we're living in an age where people love to take offense at just about anything. I mean, you, you don't treat me the way I should be treated. I, and folks, if we're going to survive in this kind of a culture, we have to be close to Jesus because we'll start getting offended too. We'll get offended at all kinds of things. And, but if we come back into this understanding that we are committed to each other according to the love of God for us, then uh, I think we would have this, what, even under the law, what did they say? Great peace have those who love thy law. Nothing shall offend them. That's uh, Psalm 119, 165. Let's move on here. We've talked about the power of love, just saying, and, and, and I, uh, before I go to the next scripture, I just want to say, I hope that having looked at God's love, what kind of love he has, has challenged you, okay? I hope it has made you feel pretty helpless. I'm not trying to be unkind here. I'm just saying that this kind of love, folks, is beyond us, okay? So we can ask ourselves, so how do we do this? How can we be this kind of people, so I take you to John's letter now, 1 John 4, and he says, beloved, verse 7. And I just want to stop there, beloved. What, what, is, what does he mean, beloved? It's, it's a verb form of love, okay, Be, beloved. Uh, if I would, will you, you put the word be sometimes in front of other words to kind of help us to realize. So if I would take my hands and, and uh, smear them in uh, coal dust, let's say, smear them in coal dust or grease, okay, and I'd go over to this wall and I'd go like this on the wall, well, what would we say? That wall is besmeared, right? It is begrimed. It's got smear and grime on it all over it, okay? Beloved. Now, using a little better language here, but beloved, it's those who have been loved. This great love coming to us, beloved, let us love one another. God's love to us is not just about us, about making us feel good, or even just about forgiving our sins. It certainly includes that, but it's intended to transform us. Beloved, let us love one another. So again, you see this love coming down to us is to become loving, love going out from us. Let us love one another for love is, and here's the point that we want to look at, love is of God. So if you feel helpless, I do sometimes when I think about loving certain people. There are some people that I can easily be afraid of. There are people that I just plain have trouble because they're not... <laughs> We use the word, they're not lovable, right? Love is of God. It means that when I encounter my limitations, I need to come to God and on my knees and say, God, I need, I need more of that love coming into my heart. I need transformation. I need to become like the family. I need to come into this love community where the love coming into me flows out not dependent upon the source 
I'm sorry, upon the recipient, depending rather on the source. Love is of God. He goes on to say, and everyone who loves is born of God. I will insert here, I think, don't hear, don't hear him saying any kind of love. Anyone who loves has any kind of love. Anyone who loves in the manner that God has loved us is born of God and knows God. He who does not love does not know God, for God is love. So there you have, the, again, that essence. Love is of God. God is love. And it is God's intention to produce in us, through our relationship with him, the kind of love that he has shown to us so that we can show that same kind of love to others and be little Christ. We can be Christians in the, in the biblical sense of the word. We're actually followers of Jesus and we're being transformed. So, so I'm, I'm saying here that this is, this is the most important thing about our relationships with each other. All the teaching that I give you this weekend on relationships should either be explaining to you how to love God better or how to love others better. Because on these two commands, all the law and the prophets hang. Love is of God. So we're saying again that if I can't love people with God's kind of love apart from loving God and receiving his love into my heart that helps us to understand that Jesus is so right when he says this is the first and great commandment to love God with all our heart it's what will transform us it's what will change us it's what will make us like the father and his son let's pray our Heavenly Father, we come to you this evening just realizing that uh, as we think about our lives, as I think about my life and my relationships, I need your love. And Father, I am praying for this congregation, this gathering of people here this evening. Call us into yourself. Transform us. Make us more and more like you. Our desire is that is that every person uh, who comes into acquaintance with this assembly will be reminded of Jesus. I pray that you would bless the pastors and bless the Sunday school teachers and bless the moms and dads and bless the children. And I pray that this would be a gathering of love. And I pray it in Christ. Amen.